1: Hello, I'm CNN political director David Chalian. And I'm CNN
2: senior political reporter Nia Malika Henderson. Welcome to Politically Sound.
1: Stop the steal! Stop the steal! Stop the steal! All of us us here today do not want to see our election victory stolen by emboldened radical left Democrats, which is what they're doing. They don't get to steal it from us. This is about to happen. We're about to go up Never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. Our country has had enough. We will not take it anymore. And that's what this is all
0: about.
2: The shock has only just begun to set in. These images will go down in history. A mob breaking into the United States Capitol, guns drawn on the House floor, domestic terrorism incited by the endless barrage of lies coming from the president and his allies.
1: It was heartbreaking, shocking, of course, and yet at the same time, completely, utterly predictable. A day, four years in the making, and perhaps an inevitable end to the Trump era. It cannot be overstated how the president's years and years of lies, torrent of conspiracy theories, and consuming narcissism stoked a mob to lay siege to the very building where his congressional allies were seeking to overthrow a legitimate election. Joe
2: Biden, he was finally certified the winner of the election at 3.41 a.m. But just like the windows and the furniture in the Capitol, illusions have been shattered. And I don't think anyone is under the impression that this is going to get better when Biden is actually sworn into office in less than two weeks.
1: So today we're going to talk about what these events mean for the future of this divided country, what our politics will look like in a country where people are so blinded that they lay siege to their own Capitol building based on lies.
2: We're going to be joined today by CNN's Doni O'Sullivan. He, of course, is a reporter who covers misinformation and who was on the ground outside the Capitol talking to these rioters and trying to understand the depths of the brainwashing and of the misinformation they believe.
1: So, it's time to tune out the noise and tune in to what's politically sound.
2: Doni, listen, first, we are so glad that you are safe and able to join us for this podcast. You, of course, were out there at the president's speech, and this is where he called for his supporters to march on the Capitol.
0: We're going to try and give our Republicans... The
1: weak ones, because the strong ones don't need any of our help, we're going to try and give them the kind of pride and boldness that they need to take back our country. So let's walk down Pennsylvania Avenue. So
2: talk about what the mood was like among Trump's followers just after his speech and right before we saw this insurrection unfold.
3: People were really fired up. We were in the crowd outside the White House uh, with all these Trump supporters and they were all repeating the president's lies. They were all repeating the conspiracy theory, and it is a conspiracy theory, that he didn't lose the election. And, you know, they gathered there early in the morning. Some of them gathered overnight in the really early hours. And the president came out and he got everybody really fired up and he told them, march to the Capitol.
2: And so talk about the scene among these rioters as they first started entering the Capitol, which was just a crazy scene to see, something we've never seen, really. What could you see? What could you hear? What was the conversation like among those protesters and rioters?
3: Yeah, we were right there. We marched to the Capitol with these Trump supporters. And as we were marching there, I was talking to some of them. And again, they were all just repeating this lie and saying, you know, I said to them, well, there's staging being set up for the inauguration of President-elect Joe Biden just two weeks. And they were just in total denial. And we actually, we we got to the Capitol, we got to the police line, uh, which was down on the street. And... We were right next to, there was only, only a small police line, there was barriers. And all of a sudden we heard some commotion uh, to our right. And th- we saw the barriers start falling. And it was surreal. We saw these Trump supporters making their way to the Capitol building, running up through the lawn. And the police had no control. And at first, you know, it happened sort of so quickly And almost without, it it didn't seem as though there was a massive pushback from the police that I had initially wondered, you know, are they just letting them up there? Is this part of the plan? But it wasn't. And then the thousands, there was thousands of of Trump supporters behind those initial people who broke the barricades, and they all began streaming into the Capitol grounds. And then we saw the chaos uh, that ensued.
2: And compare, if you can kind of the response of Trump supporters after a rally. And I know you have gone to Trump rallies, you talked to folks afterwards. How was their response, their mood different after this attack on the Capitol, different from what they typically would be like after a rally?
3: Yeah, I spoke to some of them as, as police as they eventually, you know, Stop trespassing. And as they eventually started leaving the grounds in the evening, uh, some of them had to be moved using tear gas. They consider uh, people who recognize the election, the illegitimate election of Joe Biden, they view those people, the people who live in the real world, they view them as the traitors. They view us as the traitors. It's, It's just incredibly ironic. And I want to play a little bit of sound for you from a person I spoke to as they left the Capitol grounds. Are you proud of what happened here today?
4: Absolutely. I think we should have gone on in and yanked the our senators out by the hair of the head and drug them out and said, no more.
3: And even as those Trump supporters were leaving the Capitol grounds, they already had a new conspiracy theory. They tried to tell us that it wasn't them, it wasn't the Trump supporters who caused the violence and the destruction in the Capitol, that it was mostly actually left-wing agitators, members of Antifa. And I mean, it's just, I mean, it's a sad state of affairs that that is how quickly conspiracy theories can spread. And some members
2: of Congress amplified or perhaps even started this notion that it was really Antifa, it wasn't really Trump supporters. And it was also on Fox News as well with folks like the Trumpiest of the Trumpers on that station.
3: Yeah, and this is where we are in this country right now, right? I mean, it's not just social media, it's it's Trump media. It is Fox News, it's OANN, it's Newsmax, it's all these other outlets that can create just an entire alternate reality and so people millions of people in this country can get the information they want even if it's misinformation and they can live in this state of denial and they can live in this fog of conspiracy uh, because the corporations like this Trump media and the social media companies aren't really doing a lot to stop it in fact they're encouraging it.
2: And why do you think this group of people, it is millions, it's certainly not the 74 million or so who voted for Trump, but it's a portion of them. Why do you think this group of Americans is so susceptible to brainwashing?
3: Yeah, and I think that's, that is an important word to use, brainwashing. Because, you know, we, we talk about brainwashing in, in sci-fi movies and things like that, and people always sort of imagine that it's a microchip put into somebody's head or somebody holding up a you know, a twirly sign and a hypnosis. But this is brainwashing. I mean, you know, and I guess there's a couple of parts to answer your question, but I would say that, you know, we all have our biases and we all, you know, if we see information that confirms our bias, we're more likely to believe it or more likely to share it. So what you have is you have a group of many millions of Americans who have these points of view and then their points of view are reinforced by these social media echo chambers. I mean, you join a Facebook group, a pro-Trump Facebook group, and you can very, very quickly go down a rabbit hole uh, within a few minutes.
2: And there's some reporting, Doni, that members of Trump's cabinet are considering invoking the 25th Amendment, removing him from office. He, of course, has, you know, a little less than two weeks left. Would the 25th Amendment or even impeachment also being discussed by folks on the Hill, would this actually make it better or kind of make him a martyr and even more of a messianic figure than he already is?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think he's already a martyr, you know, and as much as I think Democrats and a lot of people would like to think after Inauguration Day that we are going to be living in a pro-Trump society, you know, he is still going to have massive, massive reach and he is still going to be able to set the social media misinformation agenda for millions of Americans every day. Even if cable news doesn't report what he's tweeting, even if the New York Times doesn't report, you know, what he's saying on Facebook, he is going to be able to set the agenda and to possibly incite violence and to further conspiracy theories for millions of Americans.
2: Which is just frightening to think about. You have Donny. The social media companies, and we talked about them and how important they are for Trump in spreading this misinformation and brainwashing his followers. Twitter locked his account for 12 hours. You had Facebook and Instagram uh, doing the same thing, and they say it'll be two weeks. I think maybe Facebook has announced maybe it'll be longer than that. So what's your reaction to that? Is this kind of too little, too late at this
3: point? These companies, Facebook, Twitter, Google, which owns YouTube— have for years stood pretty much idly by as violent, hateful rhetoric spread across their platforms as the president of the United States promoted conspiracy theories. The scenes we saw in Washington, D.C. this week, social media companies, executives, they're culpable in this. They have had a role in all of this. It is quite significant to hear from Zuckerberg. uh, And he's saying that he might lock Trump out of his account indefinitely. But what's he going to do with everybody else? All the Trump supporters who are there already, Trump's sons and daughter. um, And of course, there's now the alternative uh, social media platforms like Parler. You know, the genie's out of the bottle here.
2: Doni, thank you so much for covering this very important story and for joining us today. We really appreciate it.
4: Thank you. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com
0: slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it...
2: Initially, we're supposed to be talking about the president's push to overthrow this election on the floor of Congress and the election results uh, down in Georgia. But now we're talking about this unhinged insurrection. And I have to say, I get chills when I hear the president's words urging his supporters on. And then after listening to Dhoni lay out what he heard and after watching the events, what does this say to you about the future of the country? (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's a big question i you know you know you and i have been talking about this for months on this podcast i'm usually ordinarily in life a pretty optimistic guy I, that, that has not <laughs> been the case as you know in the last several months i don't believe that donald trump's defeat is going to defeat Trumpism. I think that that's something that is going to live on. Right after November, when Donald Trump got 74 million votes, when we saw his ability to turn out people in record numbers, I thought, well, clearly Trump is going to have real staying power inside the Republican Party after he leaves office. You were always more skeptical of that. The one thing I've seen in the last 24 hours since we've seen this insane insurrection... And I don't think any of these Republicans get, like, awards for coming out and and starting to step away from the president. But I think it does signal that there is a calculation going on inside the Republican Party that just being— total fealty to Donald Trump, and all about wooing his supporters because that is the only way to win a Republican primary, I don't know if that's holding true to as many Republican elected officials as it did back in November. I think we are starting to see a real, real divide inside the Republican Party. It's not just Mitt Romney in one corner now and, like, everybody else. I mean, I was shocked to see somebody like Tom Cotton actually say, no, I'm not joining this Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley ridiculousness about trying to overturn the election. Now, Tom Cotton's a total Trump loyalist throughout this whole thing. So I step back and just from a a political perspective, I say, that's interesting to me. So if indeed the Trump Cruz Hawley wing of the Republican Party is actually smaller today than it was even two months ago, that is a hopeful sign perhaps that there is going to be a fight, a real fight for a real conservative Republican Party to stand up in the place of this Trump Party and at least make an effort to woo back Republican voters to that form of a conservative party. And I I think that actually is maybe one hopeful sign out of what we've been seeing. Sure,
2: we have seen that, and, and that's great that finally it has come to this—it only took an insurrection to have these Republicans realize how a destructive Trump was to the party and to the country— I just think it might have been a better situation if all Donald Trump wanted to do was interfere in Republican Party primaries going forward. But it seems to me that there is something much more troubling going on here. 74 million people or so voted for Donald Trump. I don't know how many millions of those, but it seems to be a substantial number of those folks are susceptible to brainwashing by Donald Trump. Some of those people also seem to have white nationalist leanings or can be radicalized to become white nationalists. He is telling those people that Their sort of birthright almost, uh, their country has been taken away from them by black and brown people in cities like Atlanta, county like Fulton County, Detroit, Philadelphia, all these places all across the country, big cities, uh, essentially. That is what he is telling them. And you saw their anger, their sense of victimization, their sense of entitlement on full display. We sort of didn't really talk about the fact that, what, 95% of those people were white It seems like most of them were male. A lot of them seem to be working class as well. And so what does that mean that in this country right now, we have this disgruntled mass of people who are susceptible to Donald Trump's lies that have everything to do with stoking fear and anxiety about this kind of new America, the black and brown America? And we know by what it's, I think, 2050 that America will be a minority-majority country. And Donald Trump is saying, you have to take your country back from those people who, at this point, are showing real political power. You saw what happened in Georgia, uh, for instance. So in that way, I think at some point on the podcast, I said Donald Trump's going to become the patron saint of angry white America. And that is a very frightening thing. So I fear, you know, violence. I feel like we're on the precipice of decades and decades of this racial reckoning as white people feel a great deal of anxiety. Listen, I'm not white. I think this is a conversation that white America should have. We obviously don't talk about whiteness in the way that we talk about sort of blackness and brownness and what it means to exist in America in those ways. And so that's what I saw last night, this kind of white rage that was allowed uh, to descend on the capital of this country. And if you're Donald Trump, I think you were watching TV and you loved that. You know, I mean, he he came out and he said, I love you for doing this, you know, for acting in my name, acting for this cause uh, that is also sort of the cause of of white people in sort of a white America. So I am very, very scared at this point about what we're going to see in the years to come, even with Donald Trump out of power.
1: This is why the first inflection point, I think that we will look back in the history books and point to was the Charlottesville moment. It's exactly what you're describing. And it is what shocked Joe Biden up out of his chair of retirement and said, I've got to do this, right? He tells that all the time. And I think exactly what you're describing, Nia, is why it is back in that first year of the Trump presidency in the Charlottesville moment, that is when he should have been shut down by his own party. And the moment that was allowed to continue, this was allowed to fester to the place now that it occurred this week in Washington. And I just think forever we will look at the history books and say that the country and Republicans, I mean specifically, missed the moment to shut this down uh, early on in the Trump presidency.
2: And there's no going back. Donald Trump, of course, will be out of office in a little under two weeks. He'll go home to, to Florida. But again, he has millions and millions of followers who hang on his every word. Maybe they'll shut them off Twitter. Maybe they'll shut them off of Facebook. They will find a way to hear from their leader. That's it for this week's episode of Politically Sound. Thanks so much for listening. And if you could take a few minutes to give us a rating and a review, we'd really appreciate that. And if you're listening for the first time, don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you can get our latest episode each week delivered right to you.
1: Politically Sound is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Will Cadigan and Mimi Mutesa. Haley Thomas is the senior producer. Raj Makija is the senior production manager. And Francisco Monroy is our engineer. David Toledo is the team's production assistant. The executive producer of CNN Audio is Megan Marcus.
2: We'll see you all next week.